Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Fucking Cancer podcast. We are your support, so let's talk fucking cancer. We will be discussing medical topics on today's episode. And as a reminder, none of us are actual medical professionals. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Let's Talk Fucking Cancer podcast. I am one of your hosts, Colette, and we are back in the studio today. I, yeah, I have my beautiful co-host Leah next to me. Hello. Happy to be here as always. Yeah. And then we have our ever fabulous producer, Julia. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. All right. So today we're going to do something a little bit different, and we're trying out a new segment on what's new in cancer news and research. So we're going to do some mini deep dives into some topics that we each have found on our own. But first, before we do that, we wanted to bring you guys some um, news about what's new in the world of ways. So I wanted to let you guys mark your calendars for May 2nd. It is the big day of giving. Woo-hoo! Yeah, that's our... We love that fundraiser. Yes, that is, that is a good fundraiser. Yeah. And that is um, a big fundraiser that allows us to do what we do for our local community as far as transportation, meals, therapy, um, client events, and just any other ways that we can support the community. The right. community. Yeah. So that's coming up on May 2nd. Um, we have set the date for our annual, our big annual fundraiser, which is going to be on September 7th. And we will keep you updated with details as they come along. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited for that. Yes. Um, and then also wanted to let you know that if you are in the um, Northern California area to keep Keep an eye on the website, weareyoursupport.com for upcoming client events in April, July, and October. Um, As always, that's just a great time to come out and connect with our cancer community. Yeah, we always have such a good time. Yeah. So like I said, we'll keep you up to date with um, details as they continue to come out. And with that, Colette, what's new in cancer research? Wow. (laughs) I was actually really excited to do this. I hadn't kind of researched anything new in cancer in a while. And um, so as I was doing my research, I found some really interesting information on multiple myeloma. I hadn't known a lot about it prior. I just knew it was a type of a blood cancer. Um, I didn't have a great understanding of treatments and all that. So as I was reading, I figured I'd should go ahead and describe exactly what multiple myeloma is. And then we'll get into what I discovered. Awesome. Yeah. So um, like I said, it is a blood cancer. Um, It's a cancer of the plasma cells. And so uh, the plasma cells are a white blood cell in the bone marrow. And with this condition, a group of plasma cells becomes cancerous and multiplies. The disease can damage the bones, immune system, kidneys, and red blood cell count. Wow. Okay. Yeah. While doing my research, I realized that there are many treatments out there. And um, although it is not curable, it is treatable and people can live with it. Okay. But um, they haven't yet found a way to stop it. Gotcha. And so in the research, um, this is from Cedar Cedar Sinai from their investigators, um, came out on February 7th, 2024. So pretty new. Wow. Yeah. Look at us all up to date and shit. I (laughs) know. We're trying. (laughs) 
So um, their cancer investigators discovered a new target to stop the growth of this deadly immune system cancer, which they hadn't been able to find a way to stop it yet. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So a little bit of background. Multiple multiple myeloma cells grow inside the patient's bone marrow. Unlike many types of cancer, multiple myeloma cells cannot live outside of the patient, meaning they rely on signals from the patient's healthy cells in order to grow. Couture cancer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, investigators sought to de- determine the source of the signal, that signal that poten- they can potentially block oh, okay. to um, block the growth of the myeloma cells. Gotcha. So during this investigation, they discovered that endothelial cells, which line the blood vessels, express a unique receptor cell called, I think I'm saying this right, but F. It's capital E, PH, receptors. These F cells or receptors bind with efferin proteins, which are expressed on the multiple myeloma cell. Okay. So they learned that they they bind together and that um, the myeloma cells, it triggers the growth of them. So most interestingly is the forward signal from the myeloma cell to the endothelial cell does not affect myeloma growth at all. Oh. However, the reverse signal from the endothelial cell to the myeloma cell drives the cancer. And that's what makes it grow. Okay. So, so it's your lo- blood vessel, mm-hmm. that receptor signal that is going to the cancer yes. cell that causes it to, to grow. Exactly. Wow. So it's not the cancer cell signaling the F cell in the endothelial lining. That's pretty crazy it is yeah so they they notice that there that's where that that um reverse signal i guess you call it is from the endothelial endothelial sorry guys cell (laughs) to the myeloma cell that drives that cancer so they're looking at a way can they stop that signaling somehow to stop the growth oh okay So in their findings, Cedar cyanide investigators found that blocking part of the protein's unique signaling pathway stops the myeloma growth in in culture and laboratory mice. Oh, wow. So the study was published and I'm going in a peer journal and I'm going to go ahead and link that in our show notes because I did read over it. And oh, man, when it came to this particular um, article, I had read the study first and mm-hmm. was not understanding it much at all. I remember peer review journals yes. from research <laughs> methods, and it is dense. Yeah, it is so, yeah. I'm like, objective conclusion abstract, right. and possibly <laughs> data or, uh, yeah, research methodology. Right. I've got the gist. Yeah. <laughs> so then I found the article linked to it, which was fantastic, which I'm reading from now. And um, it explains it. So I'll, I'll go ahead and link both. Awesome. Perfect. Um, yeah. So it was really nice to find this article that kind of dumbed it down for me. <laughs> no, it's a, it just it put it in. Um, layman's terms. Lame, yeah. Yeah. Really. And so um, I really appreciated it, though, because I was used to reading journals in college and hated every second of it. Yeah, because it's all data. It's all data and just trying to make sense of it. So then when I found the article, I was like, yes, thank you. Now this is... (laughs) In college, it was, what from this do I actually need to remember, like, what's going to be on the test? Right. (laughs) Right, right. So... um, 
the method they use, the investigators cultured human myeloma cancer cells along with different types of blood vessel cells. They compared the genes expressed by the blood vessel cells that spurred cancer growth with the genes expressed by the blood vessel cells that did not spur the growth. Through the process of elimination, they were able to identify the unique role of FNB2 in multiple myeloma. So learning that that FNB2 protein Mm -hmm. and the... um, the binding to the receptor of the F cells mm-hmm. was where it was growing. Gotcha. And so, and it was that reverse signaling the F cell to the B2, right? the FMB2. Okay. So basically, um, I mean, this is a huge impact on the, the community. They now have to find the ways to actually, you know, stop that signaling, but finding that that signal and right. finding how it worked is so crucial in this. Absolutely. So, and I forgot um in your article did it um I might I might have misheard but um did you say that they were able to block that signaling in mice or that they were able to figure out that that is what causes the growth? In the new study um they did find that blocking part of the protein's unique signal- signaling pathway stopped the myeloma growth in the culture and in lab mice. Okay. Does it yeah. say how they blocked the They signaling? did not, and it's okay. probably in the journal. In the journal. Okay. Um, so which we're going to go ahead and link. Gotcha. So now it's just a matter of taking that that right. information and building on it and growing it. Well, to, it's funny. I was yeah. just actually looking down here at like the funding because I was like, what pharmaceutical company is behind this? Right. <laughs> and because um, I mean, I'm like, yeah, that's that'll be to market right. in no time. That'll get. Um, yeah. What, what do they call it? Um, expedited approval. Nice. But um, yeah, this is actually the work is being sponsored by the National Institute of Health um, from grants and then also Tower Cancer Research Foundation Career Development and the um, ASCO Young Investigator Award. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. very interesting. So one of the doctors um, involved in the investigation had stated, our evidence suggests that the importance of the reverse signaling pathway of the FMB2 in regulating multiple myeloma development and progression and that inhibiting the signal in a targeted way abolishes multiple myeloma growth. Wow. That's huge. That is huge. I mean... So I would assume that because they have discovered this um, reverse signaling pathway mm -hmm. through mice lab mice yeah i would assume that the next step would be next phase human, is human human, human trials, trials. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah wow so there could be a clinical trial potentially there could be yeah, yeah. Okay. so this is great this is something to keep our eye on and Absolutely. i mean this was just published on february 7th 2024 so hopefully mm-hmm. we'll start hearing more yeah. stuff in we the coming keep our future eyes out for sure for any yeah. clinical trials or and anything. i would love to do an update to this yeah you know yeah. as time yeah. goes by and see what they've added to it what they've learned more from it right. how it's working that's that's why I really wish I knew which pharmaceutical company was working with it because yeah. we could um, see what phase they're in because I believe human trials start in phase three. three yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, that was just something exciting that I found and thought was interesting to share with the community. And I learned a lot that I hadn't known about multiple myeloma. It's actually really uplifting. Yeah. It, I feel like we need, that's what I really like about doing this is I feel like we need to bring some good news. Yeah, you know, like, absolutely. Just 
once a month, maybe a couple times a month, we need to just bring the good news. Bring some good news. Yes. Yeah. So speaking of good news, um, great tra- great segue, Julia. <laughs> um, I actually have some really great news that I wanted to share with you is that there's been an improvement in the breast cancer mortality rate. Awesome. So in 1975, it was um, estimated that 48 out of every 100,000 women would die from breast cancer. Mm-hmm. In 2019, that number had dropped to 27 in one every 100,000. Oh, wow. Women, wow. Um, will die of breast cancer. So that is a 58% decrease yeah. in the breast cancer mortality. And they're attributing that to the combination of screening um, early, you know, so okay. that early screening um, actually is really being is beneficial and right. is paying off um and then also with the improvements to um treatment of metastatic breast cancer right. and um other options that are out there so yeah. that was just really cool That's and i wanted really to share news. that yeah. with yeah. amazing yeah and so then the other article or the topic that i actually um was pretty excited about was that they're um now studying rehabilitative and integrative therapies for pain in patients with cancer oh, so i know that rita had mentioned when in you know when we were speaking with her that she has been able to help some patients um with reiki or right. even you know changing the position of their body. And so this kind of follows um, that. And so I found this study. It's the Rehabilitative and Integrative Therapies for Pain in Patients with ca- Cancer. Um, and it was updated February 20th of 2024. So very recently. Very recent. um, and it was published, I believe, in JAMA. Um, but I will the correct link will be posted in the show notes. Um, But it was really interesting and that the conclusion that they found was that the use of non-pharmacological integrative therapy in the management of chronic cancer pain has been grossly underestimated and must be considered before or as an adjunctive of other treatment regimens to ensure appropriate care. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that they're acknowledging this. Right. right? And so some of those things that they were suggesting um, are therapeutic exercise, hydrotherapy. Oh, wow. um, Wow. And then other modalities such as TENS units, scrambler therapy, ultrasound, lymphedemia treatment. Oh, yeah. Um, And and then as for integrative therapies, um, they're looking, you know, they're saying things like mind and body practices. Yeah. Oh, wow. acupuncture, acupressure, and reflexology, and that can help the pain related to aromatase inhibitor use or chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy, Uh Um, pain during systemic anti-cancer therapy, chronic pain related to cancer, surgical or procedural pain, Um, cognitive behavioral therapy, yoga, clinical hypnosis, um, and relaxation training, meditation and mindfulness, which Dr. Bridgman talked about, um, creative arts therapy, and massage therapy. Um, And then biofield therapies like Reiki, therapeutic touch, and healing touch. So I always, I just always think, you know, these, I guess what are now considered alternative therapies Mm -hmm. They've been around for Forever. as long as humans have existed. Right. And yes, Western medicine can be amazing, but these things just keep coming back around. Right. And just for some reason, work on humans. They do. Right. <laughs> I feel like they fill that gap that Western medicine completely ignores. Of combining like the spirituality the, yes, mind with and body. Yeah. And because I actually 
learned through a physical therapist that I was seeing at the time that, you know, I was there and she's like, do you have chronic pain? I said, yes. And um, she asked, you know, are you, are you talking to anyone about that? Are you seeing a therapist? And I was like, no. Right. That's interesting. And she said, because she's like, it's not that chronic pain is in your head. Right. It's you may be suffering from some sort of mental illness that is causing chronic pain. The wow. body keeps the score. Yep. Interesting. So when, you know, it's crazy to look at, you know, how to treat chronic pain, cognitive behavioral therapy. It, right. They're finally acknowledging that it's not, you're not making it up. Right. There is something wrong and you are feeling that in your body. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. This is really good. I'm so glad they're paying attention. Or like you said, it it makes it round. It's rounds. It seems mm -hmm. like, you know, every so many generations, you know, these things come back up and, you know, right. we start trying to put the mind, body and spirit back, mm -hmm. back where it should be at the top priority, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course, Western medicine, I mean, I would not have not used Western medicine for cancer. Right. I absolutely did. But meditation, walking, mm -hmm. I, we all know the story about my friend Jen. She right. <laughs> made, made me walk all the time, you know, and, and just, I wonder how hydrotherapy would have worked yeah, for you. That yeah. I'm very curious. Well, about. thinking about my neuropathy that I have, yes. I have neuropathy in my toes from chemotherapy. So mm -hmm. I'm thinking, what if I was doing, what did they say? Um, um, reflexology or um what's the pins oh the pens. acupuncture acupuncture yeah. you know and stuff mm -hmm. like that so it's like wow it's really cool that if we start combining these and using them mm -hmm. together how much more beneficial it could be right and i just love seeing that pain is becoming a priority yes. because i feel like for you know maybe the last hundred or so years the focus has been on how do we treat and or cure mm -hmm. cancer mm -hmm. And I feel like by prioritizing that, which rightfully so, we sure. should have been, we lost sight of like, well, how can we also make the patient comfortable right. during that time? It was like, right. well, if this treatment can prolong your life, you have to do it no matter right. how uncomfortable or right. painful it is. Like, I love seeing that like, okay, we've gotten to this point where we are confident in some treatments mm -hmm. and, you know, even some treatments that um, can put cancer into remission. Yeah. But to actually like work, work on the whole body. Exactly. Yeah, We're now body, able mind. to shift the focus mm -hmm. to wellness during treatment. Yes. And that's what we've said so many times is our oncologists are amazing. They mm -hmm. do an amazing job at working on that cancer, but they don't always do an amazing job at the mind and the the physical pain or right. you know things like that or integrative yeah. techniques they're not a diet they're not always great with right. that so i think that it bringing it back to the forefront and combining the two is so important definitely yeah yeah, yeah. Well, and that just goes back. That reminds me of what Sarah was saying, um Sarah Stratton. I just think that one of the reasons well she and she attributes her success to using to partnering mm -hmm. um, integrative therapy or integrative medicine with, with. her oncology, her medical yeah. oncology. Um, and yeah, that's just the marriage of those two things, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, can be help have really good outcomes. Yeah, definitely. It's crazy. It's off topic, not a cancer related thing, but it made me think of I was just watching a movie um, set way back in the olden times and um, like the 1900s <laughs> the 1900s. yes when people tell me you're born in the 1900s I'm like ah oh, uh -huh. yes, I was that, hurt. that hurts <laughs> but, 
but um, you know, set back in the olden times, and uh, a gentleman was at the doctor's, and he kept saying, "But what about my melancholy? But what about my melancholy?" Oh, yeah. And the doctor slapped him in the yard, and he goes, "Oh, you." Other than because he was telling me how healthy he was. Right. And he goes, but what about my melancholy? And he slaps him in the arm. He goes, oh, that's nothing that a shot of whiskey couldn't help. Oh, geez. Oh, and I was oh. just like, wow. But it's so true how it's been handled in the past. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and unfortunately, that person did not end up making it because oh. of his melancholy. Oh, and geez. so it was just so sad. I was like, whoa, like. You said there this was, was a movie? It was a movie. Okay. There was a time where mm-hmm. those things were being said. Yep. It's yeah. like just slapping a Band-Aid on it, yeah. and, you know, instead of trying to heal the wound, it's just mm-hmm. just cover it up yep. for now. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. So I think that's fantastic. I think that's great that um, they're really looking at the two in conjunction with one another. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you for that good yeah. news, Leah. Yeah. yeah glad, to, glad to bring some levity. Some sunshine to us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go ahead and segue into my topic for today. Um which is that uh, MIT scientists have developed an AI learning model to predict a person's likelihood of developing lung cancer up to six years in advance. That's crazy. Yeah, so just a little a little tidbit here. Uh, lung cancer kills more people in the U.S. yearly than the next three deadliest cancers combined. Wow. It's notoriously hard to detect the early stages of the disease with x-rays and scans alone. Wow. I'm going to be reading um, a couple different articles uh, today. One is um, by the Good News Network. This was posted um, February 11th of 2023, so just over a year old. Current lung cancer prediction models require a combination of demographic information, clinical risk factors, and radiologic annotations, whereas the model that was developed by MIT researchers is called SYBIL, S-Y-B-I-L, is designed to use a single low-dose chest scan to predict the the risk of lung cancers occurring one to six years after a screening. The imaging data used to train SYBIL was largely absent of any signs of cancer because early-stage lung cancer occupies small portions of the lung, to kind of rephrase that, it's it's extremely hard to diagnose early stages of lung cancer okay. because the areas um, where cancer cells are in CT scans are so small mm-hmm. that the actual pixels of the CT scan cannot pick, pick it up. up. Okay. So that's where we're at currently until okay. civil was developed. So we found, so this is a quote from Good News Network. Um, We found that while we as humans couldn't quite see where the cancer was, the model could still have some predictive power as to which lung would eventually develop cancer. That's crazy. Yes. So this this model aims to bring the research community one step closer to outgrowing legacy systems in the healthcare industry and help better treat current and future patients. Wow. Now, I also wanted to read a little bit from, um, this is an article by Applied Radiation Oncology. Um, discussing the Sybil model. So um, lung cancer, it's it's the biggest cancer killer because it's relatively common and relatively hard to treat, especially once it has reached an advanced stage, says Florian Fentelman, MGCC thoracic interventional radiologist mm-hmm. and co-author on the new work. Quote, in this case, it's important to know that if you detect lung cancer early, the long-term outcome is significantly better. Your five-year survival rate is closer to 70%, whereas if you detect it when it's advanced, the five-year survival rate is just short of 10%. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Wow. 
So although there has been a surge in new therapies introduced to combat lung cancer in recent years, the majority of patients with lung cancer still succumb to the disease. Low-dose computed um, tomography, or LDCT, scans are of the lung are currently the most common way patients are screened for lung cancer with the hope of finding it in the earliest stages, when it can still be surgically removed. Sybil, the MIT research model, takes the screening a step further, analyzing the LDCT image data without the assistance of a radiologist to predict the risk of, of a patient developing a future lung cancer within six years. So is Sybil reading the CT? It is, yeah. So actually, let me go back. Um, there is Okay, yes, actually. So I do have um, an in-depth description here. So um, despite its success, the 3D nature of lung CT scans made Sybil a challenge to build. Uh, Co-author Peter McHale, an MIT PhD student in electrical engineering and computer science, and an Iliot of Jamil Clinic and the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory, liken the process to, quote, trying to find a needle, a needle in the haystack. Mm. Uh, the imaging data used to train Sybil was largely absent of any signs of cancer because early-stage lung cancer occupies small portions of the lung, just a fraction of the hundreds of thousands of pixels making up each CT scan. Denser portions of lung tissue are known as lung nodules, and while they have the potential to be cancerous, most are not and can occur from healed infections or airborne irritants. So to ensure that Sybil would be able to accurately assess cancer risk, uh, Fintelman, I hope I'm saying their name correctly, and his team labeled hundreds of CT scans with visible cancerous tumors that would be used to train Sybil oh. before testing the model on CT scans without discernible signs of cancer. So basically, they're taking... Prior CT scans okay. in which that they have highlighted and they are able to see where the cancer was. And that that is how they use Sybil to or I'm sorry, that is how they trained Sybil to detect um, cancerous tumors okay. on the lung. Well, and I like that it also filtered out like nodules, nodules mm -hmm. um, exactly. scarring from previous. Yeah, like that it was able to differentiate it to. Um, minimize uh, misdiagnosis. Be, right, right. There wouldn't be a false positive. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. right now you get the call that, well, there's nodules. And so we'll just watch them, mm -hmm. you right. know. And so if Sybil can filter that out into a non-cancerous yeah. site, that's awesome. Definitely. Yeah. And um, so MIT electrical engineering and computer science PhD student Jeremy Woolwend, co-author of the paper and Jamil Clinic, uh, was surprised by how highly Sybil scored despite the lack of any visible cancer. So, quote, we found that while we as humans couldn't quite see where the cancer was, the model could still have some predictive power as to which lung would eventually develop cancer. Knowing Sybil was able to highlight which side was the most likely side was really interesting. Yeah. So, That's yeah, it, it seems like it's able to... Uh, like you said, Leah, disregard these other irritants, these nodules, mm -hmm. and be able to discern which side may develop cancer right. within the next year to six years. Wow, that's crazy. Well, and like you said, you know, yeah, so, hey, we'll keep an eye on these nodules. Five right. years later, it's grown into cancer. cancer. This could say, hey, you're good for five years. Let's check back in five years. Or, you know what, let's check back next year. Mm -hmm. Or, you know. Right. Just to get a little bit more technical with the findings as well, I'm going to jump back to Good News Network, which states, working with a diverse set of scans from two hospitals and the National Lungs Lung Cancer Screening Trial, the study showed Sybil was able to forecast 
both short-term and long-term lung cancer risk, earning C indices scores ranging from 0.75 to 0.8. Just to define the C indices, it's the um, C index, so the concordance index, um, which is commonly used. It's a commonly used metric and survival analysis for evaluating the performance of a prediction model. And values over 0.8 indicate a strong model. So Sybil scored 0.75 to 0.8, That's which is fantastic. a fairly strong model. Right. And when predicting cancer risk one year in advance, the model was even more successful. They obtained between 0.86 to 0.94 on a ROC-AUC probability curve, which is considered excellent for AUC values with 0.1 being the highest possible score. So in, um, I guess, layman's terms, um, this model is strongly predicting That's great. the um, growth of cancer in specific lungs. Right. And the most successful uh, rates that we've seen are one year in advance. Wow. So that could be really great with people who maybe have a history of lung cancer in their family yeah. right. is to get, you know, screened early and often mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, if this technology were to become available at a, you know, map a greater scale, greater scale. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And if it were to become widely available, I know that there are cases where maybe someone was a smoker in their yeah. young, in their young, younger years, and it's 30, 40 years later mm -hmm. and they're um, diagnosed with lung cancer. Yeah. So, there are, yes, if you have a genetic risk factor, if you have an environmental risk factor, right. if you are a smoker, you can potentially in the near future um, get screenings yeah. with this Sybil model, um, you know, created by MIT to predict that one year in advance of being diagnosed, diagnosed with, which right. is, is the real um, is it that's the real kicker here yeah. because it is very treatable mm -hmm. if it's caught early, early. Yeah. yeah and it's so with current technology is very difficult to find that early so a lot of the time you're getting an an advanced diagnosis exactly. and it's much harder to treat right so i saw this i thought like wow this is just this is so cool how because you know ai is everywhere now right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. scary <laughs> i kind of hate it yeah but when you look at it in terms of using it for medical mm -hmm. research and, you know, progression and how much better our screening systems can be yeah. if we were to teach a computer what to look for that our human eye can't possibly see and right. our current technology can't even really pick up. I just I thought that was I think the coolest thing. Cool. That's awesome. That is yeah. just so awesome because anything that it it gives me hope that yeah. just to know that there's anything out there that they're working on that possibly can become, you know, like we said, on a greater scale one day out there for more people to take advantage of and use. That'd be just so fantastic. So it's like, come on, just right. keep going. I love that we all brought good like hopeful right good, yes. like yeah. really like uplifting topics today yeah. that yeah, yeah we'll leave we'll all leave here um with a little dose of hope yeah <laughs> definitely and it was very awesome to see i think we looked at the same list you know we were looking at like what's new in the cancer mm -hmm. world and it was all very positive yeah. very positive breakthrough mm -hmm. breakthroughs that we've seen yeah there were there were there's a lot there's so much out there and um there was a lot that I didn't quite understand, and so I'm looking forward to going back and you know, understanding it more and bringing bring it to another uh, episode. But yeah, it was just really interesting to I 
got really caught up in clicking on this and clicking on that. And, clicking, mm-hmm. and I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. where did I even go? And I'm like <laughs> reading more and more articles. So it was really cool. And I like to be able to bring just, you know, some good news. Some in, you know, and it's just stuff that's out there being worked on. And we we don't always know these stories because yeah. it's so new. Right. You know, and yeah. so just to bring it out there and say, hey, there's there's stuff they're working on, guys. There's, yeah. you know. And I gotta say, it made me really happy to see that AI is being used in in a good way. Vi- in very necessary ways mm-hmm. that are not, you know, deep fakes of celebrities. So right. <laughs> yeah, because when I think of AI, I'm just like, no, it scares me. I right. yeah, I, I don't want anything to do with it. And then when hearing you talk about it, I'm like, well, okay, when hold you look on. At what it could be what used it could for, be used and what for. it could do mm-hmm. for, you know, the benefit of humanity. Right. It's I'm I'm on board for it. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, great. All right. Well, thank you for bringing your time and attention um, and topics. Yeah. And um, can't wait to share with you guys next week. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And if you guys have any topics that you're interested in or anything you would like us to do a little deep dive on, go ahead and email us at podcast at weareyoursupport.com. Definitely. We'd love to hear from you because I'm excited about getting getting into the researchy stuff now. Me too. Yeah. 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 All right, guys. All so right. thank you. All right. Talk to you guys next week. See you later. Bye. Bye. We, we are your support. support. Thank, thank you for, for talking, talking cancer. cancer.